right, hello and welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, the unofficial official At YouTube Podcast, episode number 49, where we are talking all things YouTube, and uh, in this particular episode, we are doing the Nolith, or Nolith, I don't know how you say that, <laughs> it always looks funny when I see it written, the No Line on the Horizon, anyways, episode, and I've got with me some lovely co-hosts, some guests, some people from around the world, and uh, first up, Sherry's back, welcome Sherry. Hey, I found Grace beside the sound this time so we're good and <laughs> aaron hello hello aaron and lisette <laughs> hi chris i'm not gonna buy your cockatoos <laughs> <laughs> there we go i need my prize Sorry. now sound now for the best uh aaron aaron it's been a while since aaron's been on so he hasn't been up maybe with the up with the sound of uh people quoting some random lyric from the episode or from the album uh, when they're introduced. So I forgive you, Aaron. For- I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> He's just got on his bossy boots, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dear. <laughs> we'll get to that one in a minute. So uh, I've we- got the lyric page on now, so I'm going to cheat. <laughs> uh, but yes, Lisette gives the, uh, the, the prize for this episode. That's for sure. Um, if you're uh, if you're new to this uh, podcast, welcome here, and uh, we record it live Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on uh, if there's more European friends on than North American friends, and uh, it's found at goodstuff.fm slash atu2, or of course on at atu2.com, as your case may be. Um, we've got a few, uh, just some listener comments about the, about the album that we're going to just run over quickly before we get into the discussion of it. Uh, at Tim Jahar said, No Line on the Horizon was ignored on the i e tour. Do you see it coming back around in future shows? I happen to love it still. And that's obviously, uh, I don't, what do you guys think? There's the Joshua Tree tour coming up, obviously. And then the presumably, if and when it ever comes out, Songs of Experience and really a tour. Do you think No Line will make, any any songs will make an appearance in either of those tours? Try to be brief, but what do you think? I think there's a chance or two. It gets more and more difficult, isn't it, as the band create more songs and we all seem to have no particular reason not to want to hear the songs again, despite some of the songs not being as great, but it's more difficult. Their catalogue is getting massive now, isn't it? It's about Mm -hmm. 200 songs, so how do you do it? Yeah. Well, I do think Moment of Surrender would fit nicely in almost any tour, really. So. Yeah, yeah, that one. Mm. Magnificent, too, you could see throwing in somewhere, too, that... And sonically, there's a few, you know, songs that could be snippeted or, or otherwise, but we'll see. Um, and uh, follow up from Tim Jar said, uh, "Will we ever see release of material from the Fez sessions? Which what made it onto No Line is some of his favorite stuff on there. Which maybe we'll cover a little bit when we discuss some of the linear uh, inclusion, the the video, music video documentary thing that's uh, at, included on the deluxe album. There um, might be snippet." Or, or or stolen pieces from those sessions that may make their way into Songs of Ascent. Songs of Ascent was something that started getting batted around uh, around the recording right. um, sessions for No Line. So we might see some um, hints coming forth on that future release. I just never know how seriously to take some of those that commentary from Bono, especially obviously what he's saying. <laughs> well, but. one one thing for sure. Just going back to the to the listeners' uh, question, they did very much experiment live on this tour in terms of doing a bit of a road rehearsal on some of the songs that you know, Avery Breaking Wave, North Star. A few of them have had a a bit of a go. 
And, uh, Glastonbury came from, yeah, from those Glastonbury, sessions. Mm-hmm. That's right. So there's there's an every chance that some of the songs that they may have started writing in fairs and doodling around, I guess, will will eventually come out. As I say, either might be even on songs of experience because North Star, we, oh, yeah. I might come on the next album. And certainly I songs of percent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jeff in the chat, or UTGW in the chat, says, I believe Songs of Ascent will come out when it comes out, which is, <laughs> must be a software developer. Um, at Shaden TB says, uh, is No Line on the Horizon def- definitively their worst album, or does that honor permanently reside with pop in the pantheon of terrible albums slash phenomenal concerts? No Line and slash 360 being the tops, which is, uh, I- I'm guessing since the three of you wanted to be on this episode, you, you don't agree that it's the worst album, but uh, we'll-, <laughs> we'll get into that discussion. <laughs> Might have a few disagreements with uh, at Shaden TB, but we appreciate all perspectives on the on the YouTube stuff as we go through this. So, um, by way of introduction, we've been doing a album by album series with a few little interruptions and B sides along the way, from Boy to Songs of Innocence, as of this recording, anyways. Started back in episode thirty four uh, with Boy, of course, and so we're going into No Line on the Horizon, our second last official album, anyways. Uh, Again, as of right now, I haven't checked iTunes to see if they've dropped a new album yet, but I'm assuming we would have heard about it by now. But um, the album was released just by, I'll just do a bit of quick Wikipedia data dump on you in case you're a little fuzzy on the album. It was their 12th album released in February 2009, produced by Eno, Lanois, and Steve Lillywhite. They'd begun work on the album back in 2006 with producer Rick Rubin, but apparently had shelved most of the material from that session. Uh, when it came out, it debuted at number one in 30 countries, but didn't sell as well as they were hoping, um, which saying around 5 million copies, nothing to sneeze at, obviously. But then the tour, the U2360 tour that went from 2009 to 2011 has was or is the highest grossing concert tour in history with ticket sales over 736 million. And I think it got eclipsed by One Direction last year. Oh, did it? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that's a funny state of the affairs, but uh, that, that's actually quite embarrassing. <laughs> is that right? Well, ever but, since uh, Larry started losing his um, um, boy band looks, you know, it's all been downhill from there. <laughs> oh yeah, you can that send must your be it. Yeah, Larry, Larry, love or hate to Sherry. <laughs> Uh, I lo- there's one quote I pulled out that I really love from uh, Clayton Adam Clayton back when they were recording, saying in early December. So just before it was released, a couple months before. But this is def- definitely definitely the last week of recording. But they get- then again, last week was definitely last week of recording, and the week before that. So the poor bass player, who's probably had his lines and his tracks all done for months already, and just waiting for Adam and or for Edge and Bono to finish up what they're doing. Um, and on that note, there's actually a great uh, if you're a music or recording nerd. I- came across and i'm sure it was linked way back when when the album came out but a great album or a article discussing how the album and recording process went with you two over on soundonsound.com which we'll put in the show notes uh where uh one of the engineers on the project um i don't know if he's still around with you two or not but uh, sort of details his journey going from place to place and how they capture all the millions of ideas and remember where to find them three weeks after the fact and that kind of stuff so it's a great read if you're an audio nerd and or YouTube fan, of course. So, um, and some of the album artwork is where the Bowden Sea is what somebody threw in the notes as well, which is where. Yes, by the artist Sujimoto. And uh, this is also the first album where Eno and Lanois got songwriting credit on. Right, which goes a little bit to that. You can sort of, 
we'll get into that discussion, I guess, but of, of just the overall album sonically, um, it definitely feels, I remember when it came out, uh, it felt a little sonically like out of the place of U2 compared to where they'd been anyways. And even listening to songs of innocence now after it, it definitely has a, a more experimental, uh, vibe to it than the previous and the post albums, I guess for it. But so what, what were your guys' impressions when it first came out and you first sort of had a listen through? Aaron, we can go start with start with you and. Well, I, th- I think this is probably the one album in U2's uh, catalog that probably is the most blended of all of the U2 albums. It has a bit of every type of style in all of the songs, more so than probably any other album. And what you just mentioned was right: the albums before, um, all that you lo- can't leave behind, and how to dismantle, were pretty much more formulaic. U2, you know, U2 by numbers, I guess, in in some respects, when you compare it with this album. So it does sound um, quite sonically different. I'm not always sure that it was the sound that U2 wanted to do. And I know there's been some <laughs> comments by um, Eno and Lanoir and uh, Lily White in particular, who I think got in trouble with uh, management at a later date, about what they were trying to do, particularly the, the, the Moroccan sound. It didn't quite come through. There's, there's a few snippets of it on perhaps something like Moments of Surrender. But they certainly did do something quite different in 2009. You know, these are the guys now turning or getting close to being 50 years old. And some of the things they do on the album are, is really good. And there's one or two tracks which are real duffers, in my opinion. <laughs> I think we know what, what, what song might be the one that's generally regarded as the duffer. But, um, no, it, it's, a, it's a great and brave album by a band that at their stage in their career, in my opinion. And... Uh, I think sometimes, you know, you don't listen to the album preceding, which is where this album is now, because, you know, you still listen to songs of, of Innocence, at least I am. And you, you tend not to listen to it so much, but I still go back to this one quite a lot. I like dipping in and out of it. And it's quite a nice mood setting album. I think that's uh, one thing it is for me. But, you know, it, the guy earlier said, you know, uh, asked his question about what album is the worst album. I don't think there is a worst album. I think it always goes back to which is the one you least go back to all the time. And there's lots of different reasons. But this album, I think, is a, a nice mood setting up for various reasons. Yeah. How about you, Lisette? Well, yeah, I kind of agree with Aaron. It's, I don't really have a, I don't hate any U2 album, really. I, I like Alone Light on the Horizon. <clears throat> um, I don't like all of the songs, but most of them, yeah, they're quite good, I think. And I also like the idea of, of Bono... Um, like creating characters. It's like something he really didn't really do before. So it didn't work uh, all the time. But I think in some songs it was really nice. Like in White of Snow, for example. And um, yeah. Well, I really like I like the album. Yeah. How about you, Sherry? Well, you at the time that this came out, Bono and Edge were both working heavily on um, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark at that point. And I think that that character writing... <coughs> Uh, blended together between these sessions and what they were doing for the Broadway show. When the album first came out, Matt asked the at staff to write, you know, 200 words or less, your first impression on the album. And the first thing that I thought of was that the 11 tracks are more like quilt pieces than one knitted blanket, leaving me yearning to have it wrap around myself like the past U2 albums have. And this is an album that has 
uh, had to grow on me. You know, Adam said in in Rolling Stone uh, recently about uh, songs sort of being like um, um, a bedroom uh, a song where it's private to you, uh, um, but it may not be everybody's favorite cup of tea. And I think every song on No Line fits that description for me. Um, it's it's something that as I've grown older, I've uh, certainly uh, gotten a better appreciation for. Uh, you think that that when it was being written, the band were in their late 40s, and I'm quickly approaching that part of my life now. <laughs> and I can see now where they're coming from, but I had to get through some life experiences in order to fully appreciate this album. Um, it's not for your casual U2 fan. This is for somebody who who uh, needs a good thinking album. That's where Lone, um, No Line fits in, in my um, U2 pantheon. Yeah, it definitely is in hindsight and uh, now, and probably the longer we, the further we get away from its release, the more, um, I guess, credit they should get, like Aaron said, and, and Sherry too, as far as being more experimental than we thought and even appreciated at the time, I think, and um, coming off of what they had. And maybe they felt a bit of freedom, you know, having the success they had with the previous albums to, to do that and, and sort of experiment. The only, my one worry is that because of how it didn't perform well in terms of sales, as well in terms of sales, then they'll be scared off from doing anything similar ever again before their career is done. But we'll see. That's still, uh, we're not talking about the end of U2's career yet. Don't worry. Well, it's still a long ways away, right, everybody? We're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the album sales, when you have a tour that is named after the album, uh, you tend to have better album sales. When they started plugging U2 360, they were plugging the 360 degrees of the stage, not, hey, this is the No Line on the Horizon tour. I think that that kind of uh, um, shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, as as far as the um, the viability of the album. And in 2009, you know, when they came out, they were playing a lot of songs off that album. In 2010, when the tour had to be put on ice because of Bono's back surgery, when they resumed it uh, um, um, in 2011, they re- reworked it so that there were only, what, maybe three at most no-line songs out. So at that point, I, I think that the band had basically abandoned this particular album in favor of, uh, uh, dare I say it, doing a greatest hits uh, show for those $753 million that they made on the 360 tour. Um I think that if Bono's back hadn't done what it did in 2010, it might be a different story, but we can't change time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the song by song discussion and uh, we'll go starting with uh, No Line on the Horizon. Yes, so uh, no line on the horizon. Well, this is for me probably one of the the, the lost U two singles. It should have been a single. There's no two ways about it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go too much into get on your boots, but 
<laughs> oh, it's the elephant in the room. Eh? I'm, I'm going to go a calling card single. I don't think so. Return to sender. Don't like it. Um, this should have been. Uh, there's about three or four different tracks in this album that could have been the first lead single. This one definitely could have been a, a first lead single. And in fact, you know, you go back to as well. Well, I am had um, had a bit of a go at remixing this. You know, some extra tracks uh, released as B sides, whatever on the on the uh, on the on the first single. Was that also um, on um, Artificial Horizon, the uh, the band yeah, release? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I, I really do think this is uh, one of the... If, if it isn't the lead single, it should have been a single off the album. Um, I thought in a live context in particular, it was very, very good. I mean, in the early days of the tour, this song actually opened the show. If it wasn't opening the show, it was placed um, towards the mid-set. And I thought it worked very, very well. So it's a great song live, and it's a brilliant song as well in terms of just the sound engineering and the different sounds Edge gets out of the guitar. I think he was experimental with a lot of uh, different pedals. Um, and, the, you know, this was a, a, a very uh, sonic-produced Eno-style song. So I love that type of European, Germanic, craftwork type sound. I love all that stuff. So I, this song in particular really does uh, suit me. And... Of course, you know, the whole theme of the album starts off like that. There's a lot of character-based character, character based, uh, lyrics in this particular album, more so probably than any, any other album that uh, Bono has done the lyrics for. And uh, I thought this was a great image. It's one of these albums where you can certainly just put your headphones on and just float away. And this song, for me, makes me float. Nice, and that's it's kind of goes to like I mean we can have the de- the single debate I guess all the way up until we get the track uh, track uh, to get on the boots, um, but with each song probably. But it does going to what Sherry had said earlier, just about even having a single that's named after the album and that kind of stuff. Marketing wise, anyways, it would have made a little bit more of a mental hook for people to grasp where it's going and where it's from and which album this is and which one should I go find in in iTunes or in the record yeah, store. Yeah, you know, like like Sherry said, I think the Bono's back injury really messed up the tour. The length of the tour was obviously very long. I mean, it was just over two years, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah. Or just around two years long. But obviously interrupted um, a couple of times. And as you say, towards the end, I mean, you know, I went to Glastonbury in 2011, and I think the, apart from Moment of Surrender, I don't remember any other song off this album. Oh, they did play Get On Your Boots, but I'll try to forget that now. <laughs> Um, I love the line uh, she said time is irrelevant it's not linear which I think was in the clip and then the next she then she put her tongue in my ear (laughs) (laughs) just the the way it's kind of like those two little lines and then um, I I think of this album almost as like the Bono wailing album because he does a lot of that sort of wailing (laughs) in a positive way it's not the pride or uh, 40 kind of sad wailing it's more the uh, I've been out too late tonight kind of joyful wailing (laughs) And mm-hmm. I, I I remember being on holiday um, on the coast when this album came out, and l- literally looking out the window and looking at the sea. Um, pretty much, I think what Bono is referring to, you know, in, in the lyrics, he looks out of the out of his own window, presumably out of Kalini, and looking across the the Irish Sea. And it it is it's just a very peaceful. It's not a peaceful song, but it puts me in a peaceful mood when I hear it. So I I, I like it. I like the way that the, the sea and the and the sky and the horizon uh, have a, you know, have a certain image in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
All right, well, let's keep moving on to uh, Magnificence. Oh, this is a great song. I mean, I don't want to say it, but it is magnificent. It really is. And, you know, such a simple guitar line as well, guitar riff. It's not a riff, is it? It's just a repeat of a couple of notes over and over and over again. But I just love, this is a very uh, typical U2 song in some respects. And I, I love the video for it. I love the whole imagery. Um, the song is, again, one that really lifts off this could have been the lead single. I mean, it was a single. Um, I think it was yeah, the second single for a record. I don't think that they would have select Magnificent as the lead single. Probably, based, no. based on the lyric, I was born to sing for you. You know, Bono, yeah. Bono even, <laughs> even felt uh, 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 kind of odd, you know, being so so bold and, and uh, uh, brash with the with the declarations within it. So um, um, even having it be the second single, he was already apologizing for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, the, it's, it's, it's nice because the, the album, uh, sorry, this particular song has Adam playing some very nice bass. There's a long intro into the song, which probably actually wouldn't have suited radio very well. I mean, it was edited down for the, for the, uh, for the download. Um, and I think this was actually the first U2 single, certainly in Europe, that had no physical release. You couldn't buy it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and you know, just going back to that, the album, some of the songs here, and the tour. This is actually the first album, almost in the transition period, of where everybody bought a CD. Because if you think about it, how to dismantle atomic bomb? It's very early days of did iTunes even exist? I can't even remember. It probably did. Yeah, of course it did. Mm -hmm. But it, was, it certainly was a minority way of buying your, buying your music. And then we're moving into 2009 where, you know, iTunes streaming still didn't really exist in any way, shape or form. So the whole audience is shifting into a very different way of how they listen to music, how they listen to albums. And I think the whole tour struggled with different people having different enthusiasm for listening to an album or just listening to the songs that they were familiar with or the album songs they were familiar with. And this is the first time where you two start to lose their audience a little bit in the live setting, despite the album and the tour being the best, you know, the, 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 the biggest tour of all time. There was occasions where some of these songs just didn't connect, particularly Magnificent, which is a great song, but even in the live setting, it just didn't quite connect with the audience. I don't know how you Talked about that, Sherry. And well, the for, for the second Foxborough show uh, um, in 2009, they came out and, and opened with Magnificent. And I thought that that was a far better opener than Breathe. Um, I'm, I'm sure that I will have a lot of people disagree with me on that. But it, it, it got everybody up and, and, and dancing and bopping. And, and I also thought that it was great to open up a show with a, with a prayer almost, you know, um, because you were certainly closing with one. Um, I always felt that Magnificent should have been the tour opener. Well, I, I really liked Breathe as a tour opener, actually. So, yeah, I don't really agree, but yeah. Yeah, I kind of where I was looking for where uh, I was in one of uh, Adam or somebody's interview with uh, 
with um, Andy Green and Rolling Stone. We talked about sort of that mid-tempo malaise song. That it's it is like an upbeat song, but it, it's not quite fast enough maybe to be uh, a dance song. I guess you had the experience of it in a full stadium, which is always you know when it's live. Um, it's it's hard to not get into this music, but as a you know the whole stadium rocking along to it or not, uh, it's maybe where it, it suffered a bit, I guess. But yeah. It's just, it, I think it feels like we'll keep apologizing for the the tour <laughs> side of this, mm-hmm. um, which isn't our, our requirement because it's U2's issue, not ours. But <laughs> the, uh, What's also interesting oh. about um, Magnificent is you have Bono, Terry Lawless, and Will I Am on keyboards on that particular track. <laughs> which is, that's where it feels like it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit eclectic in the composition of the music and and then who they sort of allowed to get into it i know tim had mentioned the chatter the first time terry lawless is on on the actual record um and so you know just in terms of obviously kind of pulling at a few straws to like make this uh album come together almost like and you know alluding to the fact like sherry said that they're you know writing other stuff as well at the same time and um and taking quite a long time from the previous album to get it out and all that kind of stuff contributed to yeah a bit of a mixed bag as far as the album it seems. and I think this is the first time really that they have had a lot of collaborators on the albums um, in, in fact co-writes with Eno and Lanois as well yeah uh, Terry Terry Lawless certainly if not the first time he's played in a U2 album I think he may have done but certainly the first time he's been credited yeah. playing on a U2 album and uh, yeah there's, there's there's a lot of um, different um, inputs into this album but I mean they've been doing that for quite a while now and I think that's probably because they just struggle so much from the freeform style of how they record I mean this is why the Rick Rubin produced songs never came out and I don't think in reality that they'll ever make an album of Rick Rubin because he just wants to record 12 songs in two days and release yeah. it the following week then then they couldn't do that they can't well we know they can't do that they can't <laughs> They can't well, record it depends. One, one track in 12 weeks. If they have two weeks left on their on their um, um, record contract and they don't want to be uh, 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 served a, a cease and desist on on breaking their contract, I think that yeah. then and only then we will get a, a yeah. record-produced album if they're <laughs> under right. that type of a deadline. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving to a moment of surrender. Well, this is a song that when it was live, um, I called it the moment of show ender because it was the last song yeah. in the in the set. And uh, if you didn't want to sit in six hours worth of traffic, you were already hightailing it to the car. Um, if 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 you happen to have the vinyl of No Line on the Horizon, it's the first song on side B. Um, um, it was a double vinyl set, so um, so. Uh, you'd flip over the first vinyl and then you'd be met with this one. Um, for for me, this song had an immediate connection. Um, I was going through some uh, personal stuff uh, about my dad, about my grandfather at the time and um, – and 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 just the vision of you know I did not notice the passers by and they did not notice me um, about that uh, uh, ultimate 
decision that you have to make at some point in your life. And most recently, uh, it was um, a year ago this April, you know, I found myself in a position where um, I had about 30 minutes left on this planet, uh, had the doctor not done what he, he did. And as I'm being wheeled into the operating room, um, I, I couldn't notice anybody passing by and they weren't noticing me. And, and this was the song that was playing on a loop in the back of my head because I, I was in this position where I have to surrender, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I do not have any control left in my life other than to pray. And luckily that prayer was answered because I'm still above the daisies, but it, this song got real, real. <laughs> um, and when uh, the recording process was happening with it, I was reading in, in in some articles that those who were in the room at the time, there was a hush that came upon everybody at the conclusion of 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 the recording of the song because it it felt like God had moved through the room while this was being recorded. Um, if if you think about sacred U2 songs, for me, this one ranks right up there as number one. Yeah, it's definitely one of those songs that can, um, I feel like it's it sonically sounds like of this time, like of the No Line time period, but could fit very well lyrically on any album um, of U2's and, and is definitely a highlight for me. Uh, on, for me too, yeah. yeah. I, I really liked it as a, uh, as a way to end the show as well. Um, Although it was a bit sad, always, uh, yeah, kind of fit into the the idea of oh, the show is over now. Um, so well, yeah, uh, <laughs> the show I, is I, over. <laughs> go in peace and be among your people. You know? yeah. the, the one the one thing about this this particular song is as a as a closer for the concerts was just fantastic because the, the, it it it's a long song, isn't it? I mean, and it was long, probably longer live than it was on the album. The album's about seven eight minutes long, but. Uh, it, I, I thought it was lovely the way it was played yeah. in a, in the live setting, and particularly at night, you know, with the the last song coming eleven o'clock at night, there's a lovely vibe. You had a few few drinks and the whole Eno um, meandering, because there's a very much of a groove going through the whole of this song, isn't it? Very much the Moroccan fez style uh, recordings that they 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 did, and I th I just thought that it was a very um, cerebral song very touching lovely lyrics um just and you really, had everybody really singing the whoa oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, as they're yeah. leaving the concert yeah. you know i also yeah. liked how uh, larry was also singing during the concerts That's right. <laughs> yeah actually getting the mic on like turning the mic on and, and putting it in front of him yeah. yeah as opposed to adam whose mic is never turned on <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is that uh like it has some of the hallmarks of a U2 classic U2 song, like even the, the, the audience response opportunity or whatever, which you know that, you know, they, they consciously are aware of that when they record a song like that, that they could potentially do that. But having the drum loop, uh, like the intro and just hearing that sort of sounding, I can, I'm thinking back to when I saw it, the tour in Edmonton and, and that knowing, like you said, Shay, knowing that the show is likely over, uh, and, but just the way that they can Bono, especially you could see kind of enjoying sitting on that moment for a while of the, the sort of looping intro starting and, and being able to sort of riff on that if he wants, or just go right into the song and um, gives him a bit of sort of freedom and flexibility that way. So, all right. So we like that one. <laughs> Let's keep going. Unknown callers next. 
This one, it's uh, it's funny actually listening to, I'm trying to think of the last time I listened to some of these songs with headphones and just the, the stuff you hear different in headphones than you would in like a computer speaker or, you know, room speakers or whatever that are maybe cheaper than, than the headphones I'm listening to and just hearing some of the acoustic guitar in there and stuff like that. That um, uh, This is one I remember always with the lyric of, you know, in, including lyrics that are kind of like a almost a call out to some a uh, shout out for some nerds who are listening uh the reboot yourself and uh well the well, the 333 nice. was um Jeremiah 333 uh call unto me and I will answer thee yeah call back to mm-hmm. all the yeah. can't leave behind but the yeah the restart reboot yourself you're free to go password if you enter it here that kind of stuff and and a bit of like uh um, quits and move to trash yeah that's the one <laughs> <laughs> they totally alienated anybody who who doesn't own an apple product on that. Yeah. i had to wonder like what me. are they talking about because yeah. i'm an android you know <laughs> yeah, i didn't exactly. know either so they had precursor i guess or or whatever to uh future apple events i guess <laughs> which ironically this tour was sponsored by blackberry yeah i know that was the funniest part <laughs> i digress <laughs> I kind of thought it was going to be a more of an Apple tie-in that they would do just because of that. But um, these are the ones that are like, it's, it's uh, an Adam, a good Adam song as far as bass lines stuff. You get to really hear the bass. It's, it's up in the mix and, uh, and sort of the stream of consciousness stuff that uh, lyrically Bono throws in there that uh, I think is just always makes for a fun song, whether it's an amazing song or not, I don't know, but um, it definitely paints a great picture of a place sort of in between reality and technology and living in on the internet and living in the real world and, and kind of somewhere stuck in between uh, as you go along. So, well, there's that internal dialogue. This is, this is very much, you know, a song that's like a duet almost where, where you've got the chanting, which to me represents that, um, that uh, internal spirit or that, that uh, uh, soul trying to talk to you to say, Hey, wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anybody else, un- unknown caller, before we move on? You don't have to comment if you don't want to, but <laughs> if there's nothing to say. Um, not I, 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 I just, just to comment again to this, I think it's one of the very early songs re- recorded back in the days of Fez, and you know, you've got the birds coming through at the beginning, all tweeting mm-hmm. in the background. I, again, another lovely little gentle song, um, and another great song live. I don't think we'll ever hear it again. Um, I don't think it'll be played live again, but um, you say it's it's a it's a nice, very pleasant song by you two. It's a it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. Anyways, we'll leave it at that. I'll go crazy if I don't go crazy tonight. Is the next track. Yeah, um, I really love this song. It uh, always makes me really happy and makes me smile. And um, for me, this was really a, a very uplifting song when I was going through some rough times in, like in summer two thousand nine. And um, I particularly love the, like the video for it. They have this uh, the animated video they made for, which um, yeah, it just uh, always lifts me up and warms my heart to see how it. Uh, 
all ends up well. Um, so yeah, well, one of my favorite I, songs. I don't think I remember seeing that animated video. I'll have to, I won't watch it right now. Obviously, that would. <laughs> be, yeah, there's the concert yeah. film uh, version uh, version yeah. from uh, uh, Barcelona. Um, the Barcelona and oh. um, Somerville were the only two locations, I believe, where they performed this one. Uh, um, album wise and and then mm-hmm. it morphed into the uh the rave uh, uh yes. disco yeah. version which um now uh, now that when i hear the song on the um on the album i'm like wow this is sort of folksy you know <laughs> or mm-hmm. or dare i say poppy uh because i'm 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 so used to that uh that yeah. rave you know i didn't well, really uh, like uh, the like the live version that much I was fortunate to hear the standard version, which has hardly been played live. Oh, and then they, wow. was it the next night at Barcelona? They played it in the full discotheque style live way. And I couldn't believe what was going on. I thought, what the <laughs> hell are they doing? But actually, over time, like I said, I've actually preferred the, 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 the nightclub disco version, you know, the live oh. version. It's, it's um, I don't know, I, I, it's not a song I... I go crazy. Oh no, I can't, can't believe I said that. It's not, I don't go crazy for it, but mm. it's to say it's 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 a good song, but it's um, it's very poppy, isn't it? It's a very pop yeah. song. Well, I think the like the disco version it worked live, but um, I wouldn't listen to it like normally. I wouldn't yeah. like it. The, the lyrics are a bit poor. I'm not sure. So it's it's great lyrically. Isn't there a few baby, baby, babies all going all the way through? Oh, yeah. But... Yeah. I think yeah. when Bono's stuck, he writes down a few babies. <laughs> it's a, it's a get I out think you're either a, a – you love Bono singing baby or you hate it. I think that there's no in-between on those ones because it's – Yeah. But I I do like like whether you uh, – everybody needs to cry or needs to spit. Every sweet tooth needs just a little hit. How, every beauty needs to go out with an idiot. It kind of like – on their own, they're kind of weird. I don't know, less – but as a, as a whole – Stanza, I think it works, and uh, and I I do yeah. like it. Uh, I I can hear what you're saying. Let's yeah, it's, it's not great lyr- lyrically, but still, it's I don't know. <laughs> I still like it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it is a, a fun, interesting one musically too. I think for the way just the uh, edge, just in the background there of some of the the music that he's doing and guitar wise or whatever, it it kind of just sets a, an interesting tone. And it again sounds a little different than a typical U two song, but as a a whole structure, it it, it feels very U two e. But um, you know, it's not the positive, overly positive spin of like sweetest thing or something, but it has that light feel to it, anyways. So, um, all right, the moment we've been waiting for. The- <laughs> The lead single. I, I'll, I'll just play it and we'll see if anybody has any thoughts. We can probably I'll just, just switch off, off now. <laughs> Well, uh, nobody else wanted to take this one, so I will. But the <laughs> there's a few. We had a few comments from people when we asked. So uh, you can submit comments, questions uh, to ask hashtag ask at you two on on Twitter, and we'll we'll include that in future shows. Um, <laughs> and YouTube GW in the chat room says at least you played the best part of the song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll go we'll go quickly. At Obadu one said, uh, "Get on your boots is, is get on your boots the worst YouTube single, and is Mona's surrender one of the best songs? Your thoughts, which we kind of touched on." At Tim Jahar said, "Why was Boots decided on a first single? What else was considered?" 
at U2War40 says, get on your boots. The first single hogwash should have been breathed. At Shazad Tech said, why on earth was the lead single get on your boots? And then I, I quickly tweeted before we started the show saying, if any if there's any get on the boots fans out there, they need to get on their boots and, and get us some comments because <laughs> it's overwhelming the, the other way. And uh, at the doors, uh, DF71 said, the best thing I can say about boots is that it's okay. And at, Live. Live. Sorry. Yeah, that was on the next line. I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> and at K Walsh 12 said, get on, get on your boots is great. Catchy poppy Beatles ask prefer it to vertigo. So there you go. That's uh, a lot of well, commentary on it. I think like it, it's a, to me, it's one of those songs. Definitely. I agree. Not a great single choice in hindsight for sure. And uh, it's one of those songs like that should have been a great hidden gem B side. Like uh, I'm thinking of like big girls are best or something like that, where it's like, wow, that doesn't sound like you two, but it totally does. And it could work if they threw it into a concert, but leading it as a single, as, as has been discussed already, uh, I don't think was, we don't think was the best choice. I think we can all agree. Um, anybody have any other commentary on get on your boots? <laughs> For me, the music was schizophrenic. They couldn't decide on on a particular vibe to go with, so they just put it into one big jumbo. That's what it felt like, you know. You get into a rhythm, and then and then you get whooshed into something completely opposite sonically. I'm wondering if, in the end, and maybe this is the glasses half full way of looking at it, they their desire was to have it be completely messed up like that in order for you to listen to what the lyrics are, uh, uh, which in today's world uh, uh, seem very appropriate nowadays. Yeah. It seems like almost one of those things where edge I'm, I'm just projecting here. I have no idea if this is true or not, but edge had this riff that he really wanted to use. It was a riff that he thought was the best riff ever. And Bono had some lyrics that he thought were really good and they shouldn't have been used together. <laughs> they should have been two separate songs. And there's some, some other version of get on your boots that, uh, mixes better in the archives of U2's, uh, recording history, but we'll never hear it. Yeah. So I think, I think one of the major problems with the song, it, it, it's image about the song, isn't it as well? Because, you know, going back to the, the calling card, you know, you've, you've, we've had, um, beautiful day, as the lead single of All That You Can't Leave Behind, we then have Vertigo. So, I mean, you know, Crikey, trying to finish, you know, have a, have a triple uh, run here and have the next lead single. I think they tried far too hard to try to replicate the sound and the style of this calling card song. They do it reasonably well with Joey Ramone on the, on the last album, but this one is just too fast. The song is far too fast. Live, and the video was also... Well, they they look ridiculous actually as well, and the lyrics don't suit Bono. As what, how old is he when the uh, when the song comes out? He's forty nine and singing sexy boots. I don't know. It seemed rather <laughs> strange. Uh, I I didn't understand it at all. It doesn't it doesn't fit in thematically or lyrically with the rest of the album. And I think we're we're being a bit polite about the song because it really won't go down in the history of U2 as a, a, a proud moment. And I think even Edge has realized that it's just a bad song, full stop. Yeah, I don't think we'll see it on the best of, uh, of uh, 2000 to 2020. No. <laughs> Which would be a, a, a interesting omission just because, you know, just saying like, okay, the single wasn't something that 
It, it would kind of be them admitting that <laughs> we all shouldn't just move on. Which is probably why we don't have another best of album in the in the works at the moment. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go into stand up comedy. This is the perfect marriage, or or this would be the byproduct if the Beatles' Revolution and Bob Marley's Get Up Stand Up had a kid. Um, <laughs> and what what boggled my mind with this particular song was at the at the shows you're selling T-shirts that says "Stand Up to Rock Stars." This is a one of those get everybody singing and 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 pounding fists in the air about, you know, you got to stand up and, and all this other stuff. And they completely did not perform the song. <laughs> this one was, was this left never off the live, set list. Yeah. No. It was never played live. Right. And, and it's got that sonic guitar room sound yeah. that could just fill up the whole stadium, get everybody into it. And, it was a a lost cause. Um, I, I, I was amazed that this song was never played live in the tour because it's so suited to a mm -hmm. three sixty big outdoor big 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 song, as you say, big riff on it. It's very much like a Led Zeppelin song as well. Yeah, in the vibe. You know, um, I, I think Edge was it around that time that Edge did the film with um, Jimmy. Um, it Page might get loud. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was an influence on the song in terms of Edge and the guitar riff, but it's very much as close to Jimmy Page style of riff that he's done. Yeah. Um, yeah. That came maybe. out in 2009, so it's very possible that they would have filmed, yeah. you know, yeah. while they're recording No Line somewhere. Yeah, it was there. around that time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, lyrically, I have no clue what this song's about. Not, not in the slightest. <laughs> no. No idea whatsoever. But uh, I, I do like some of the the images that conjure up, they're conjured up, uh, like... The podium is in high heels, and especially the one about stop helping God across the road like a little old yeah. lady. I mean, yeah, that's just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I think so you well, understand. I think you understand what I say. I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, no. I no. I, I took no. it as um, Napoleon in high heels would be Bono with his Cuban heel, and Josephine be careful of small men with big ideas. I'm. This, yeah. I mean, Bono's full of big ideas. Yeah. Is, is yeah. he comparing himself to Napoleon? You be the judge. I'm not. Going going to go there because I still want to be on his kind list. Um, but, you know, it's it's a um, um, I see this song as a struggle with faith in either you're either going to let God do what God needs to do in your life or you're going to say, no, no, I got this. Let me help you across that that uh, uh, um, street type of thing. Um, and 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 it's that bounce back and forth between deeds and grace between um, uh, uh, is it what I do or or do I just have faith that'll get done? And and you know the whole stand up comedy, you know you're trying to take um, um, humor in a in a pretty tough situation and figure it out. Um, so uh, uh, I think sonically this. This should have been performed uh, lyrically. I can't see Bono standing in front of the stadium and 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 telling people, you know, about a 
kid crossing an eight lane highway on a voyage of discovery. But I like the, that line though, is I got to stand up to my ego, but my ego is not really the enemy. It's like a small child crossing an eight lane highway on a voyage. Like I, I think the, he loves to be a bit self-deprecating. And I think he's having, he's having a laugh at himself. Yeah. And I think that's where you could totally see, like you said, you know, edge rocking around the stage, uh, look, playing the riff out to the crowd and, and Bono taking the piss out of him. Yeah. And you can totally mm-hmm. see it. Absolutely. And, and I'm shocked. Oh, yeah. I'm really, I'm shocked that I, that they never played a lie. Like we've said it, it just seems like it, it must've, you know, when they rehearsed it and, and prepped it or whatever, I'm assuming they tried it, <laughs> that they, uh, it just couldn't, they just couldn't get it to work with the same kind of energy as they had uh, in the studio. But yeah, it seems. But they managed to play get on your best. <laughs> Good for <laughs> What went wrong? <laughs> All right, let's keep moving before we go backwards in the track list. <laughs> So this is definitely, uh, like I said earlier, if this is an album of Bono whaling, this is probably the prime <laughs> candidate for the whales. Um, and and I don't know how exactly it's it's like the sort of character and and um, this place he's putting you, and you, you're sonically you're there. It just as a, a track, a full track on on the album, and that's where I struggle with how it fits exactly and, and why it got included. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, stuff like this didn't get included as much uh, on the albums, but um, they, maybe it was their way to confirm. Yes, we were in Fez Morocco. Right. We even <laughs> named a, a song after it. Yeah. In the Pantheon, we've, we've discussed having an episode talking about songs named after locations. And this would, for me anyways, would be on lower on the list as far as favorites, uh, definitely as far as a song, but Sonically, I guess it sort of helps ground you in where they were and what's going on around you and, and things like that. But um, yeah, and I, and, I, and I, you know, if you try and pick another song in the catalogue of U two where it's got a similar reason for being recorded, it's probably something like Elvis Presley in America off the Unforgettable Fire. So this is a, a very much an Eno and Lanois mm-hmm. um, where the where the where the studio board is an instrument. Right. So I I think. This song hasn't even been written by you too. It's really just a bunch of different songs, different uh, tracks. And when I say tracks, I mean musical, uh, instrumental tracks being sl- spliced together. Yeah, it's it's very much it's the most experimental um, song on the album by a long, long way. And but it, it's there, I think, because the songs that follow it, it changes the mood. So we go away from the middle section of "Get on Your Boots" and. Um, comedy yeah I'll, I'll go crazy you know they're all a bit you know it's it's a three-part album isn't it really there's um you know there's it's a key shift in the in the in the mood of the album for the following songs from this from um from fez being born onwards yes. there's some pretty good information about the album um uh well well, of course, it'd be about the album, but about this song in particular in the hardcover book that came with the box set for No Line on the Horizon. Yes. And um, um, I'm I'm currently putting up onto Twitter the uh, three or four paragraphs all about this particular song, which I'm sure Chris will put into the show notes. If I can figure out how to do that, I will. <laughs> At YouTube War 40 says, uh, Fez born, being born creatively combines the sonic space of uh, Joshua Tree, disjointed sounds of Zuropa, and dare I say, swagger of passengers, which is uh, 
interesting yeah. call out, but yeah. I can definitely see that. And uh, I, I was going to say, you know, a lot of the, like what Aaron said with the sort of mixing board, it almost, I don't know if this sounds like a knock, I guess, but it feels a bit like, um, you know, like we said, Bono and Edge are off somewhere, you know, and Lanois are kind of given a little bit more freedom to uh, direct the the album than maybe they would have otherwise. And so there's not in like a bullying sense, they, they get to dictate what's on the tracks, but there is kind of their, their stamp is more obvious, I guess. They're in less of you uh, two being uh, sort of in charge on every single track. There's kind of a, of a shared space, more like passengers, like you two were 40 is saying. So that's right. Yeah. I was just, yeah. I go, I go back to what I said right at the beginning is this is probably the, 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 the only album you two have done where it just blends a lot of different styles of their previous albums into one album without it being the main theme, but certainly Eno and Lenoir have a large influence to this album just from the co-writes alone. Yeah. All right, let's keep moving to White as Snow. I just cut it off, I guess, before the Edge is solo there. But sorry, Edge, if you're listening, uh, it's a nice solo. You better be listening. <laughs> That's what I was in. I, we're, we're, we try to keep like 20 to 30 second clips just because of, uh, you know, staying on the good side of the, the legal department. Um, but often it's a, a struggle of choosing uh, a good song moment, lyrically moment versus a Edge solo moment. And uh Unfortunately, like most things, Bono usually wins. So, uh, the uh, this this song, anyways, uh, is uh, for the uh, I guess the more religious folks out there. Definitely, is kind of like a, a fairly obvious one to turn to. But I, I find it's there is that, but also the just the story that it tells and uh, the lyric of as boys we would go hunting in the woods, asleep the night, shooting out the stars. The way the song ends and has a, a bigger um, sort of crescendo at the end that maybe it isn't you don't think is going to be coming uh is always sort of redeems the song for me to use a, a bad word in terms of <laughs> the, the religious angle but um i think it's it's a beautiful song and goes again feels like it sets you in a space that is uh like aaron had said at the beginning of the, the podcast of kind of putting you in a nice space and it's not uh hyper aggressive and is a kind of a way to sort of come down from the the middle third of the album so yeah, I thought the because it really tells a story about um, well, we would go hunting in the woods and um, it was like more of a, like a how do you say that like a complete story, not not as impressionistic as many U two songs are. So that's what I I like about this song. And it feels um, quite a winter type uh, type of song because I think mm-hmm. just before you. Um, who played the excerpt there? Wasn't it just about to go into the French? Is it a French horn? It sounds like a oh French right, horn. yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it's solo, yeah. but it, yeah, it's actually a French yeah. horn. Yeah, again, it's an, another mood song, isn't it? Really, it's very cerebral mm-hmm. type of song. Breathe is the next song we're going to jump to.
See, there you go. I put. In, <laughs> I knew there was one. I had Edge's solo as the key uh, keyframe <laughs> or sample. So, anyways, Aaron, go ahead. Oh, I love this song. I just love it. It was. It's fantastic on the record. It was fantastic live. Lyseth, you mentioned earlier about uh, this <laughs> opening some of the shows. I remember this in Dublin mm-hmm. in particular. It was just yeah. awesome, absolutely awesome. Really? And this song absolutely took off and literally, literally just went to the moon on this on this song live. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I'm a big fan of James Joyce, and I just love the references in the first uh, the first the first line of the song, "16th of June." Which, for those who like James Joyce, has read Ulysses, is a is a great nod to to the, to uh, that book. So, yeah, just this is just brilliant and a big long song as well. It really rocks. I love it. I just really liked the song as well when it was opening live. Like I said before, um, just really love. Well, I'm a big Larry fan, so you know him taking the stage first and then like <laughs> pounding the drums is just really. I love I love that so yeah it's a little bit like the opposite of him leaving the stage last uh, during forty so yeah <laughs> yeah I love the, uh, the the rapid fire lyric and I I'm not uh, as up in my James Joyce so I wasn't aware of that but that's awesome connection to know about and have to go do a bit more reading and and find those but like just the the lyrically of rapid fire that Bono had to do and and it was even able to you know maintain that live <laughs> I guess I remember hearing it on the record and thinking that wondering whether they would actually do it live just because of the, the amount of words that he'd have to spit out. <laughs> and uh, I remember them doing, I think they, yeah, they did it on the, like the Letterman show here in the, in the, in the North America in the U S and, uh, and yeah. And then they, the remix or slightly different version that was on the, either single and or the Nelson Mandela version. Right? Yeah. There's, there's alternative lyrics, wasn't there for Nelson Mandela? Yeah. So oh, I think Bonner had, that's right. Bon- yeah. Bono had two two versions of the song, same melody and everything. But yeah, two two different lyrics. Yeah, yeah, just a great a great track all around. Uh, and again, you know, some of the the lyrics. Sorry, I haven't got the lyric sheet in front of me, but where he comes from a traveling is it traveling showman or traveling traveling salespeople on the sales side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some some great uh, some great lyrics on that song. Yeah, even the like sort of putting the the question to the listener of, you know, so why would I invite a complete stranger in my home? Would you? And, and the, just th- some of the uh, imagery uh, uh, that he conjures up with the lyric and um, doc says you're fine or dying and pleased. And yeah, the people we meet will not be drowned out. There's nothing you have that I need. I can breathe and, and sort of the freedom and celebration of, of life in a sense that it, it, uh, it shows. And I found grace. It's all that I found and I can breathe. Um, it's a uh, yeah. Now I just want to go listen. Like we often say on this these episodes, I want to go listen to the whole song. And do, do you think this could have made a single? I think it could have done. I wonder that too because it feels it feels a little bit like it's you're even like we said about get on the boots where you're hard get on your boots and you're it's sort of hard to like lock in exactly which which kind of song it's trying to be. Like I think the yeah. song survives and is great in spite of that or because of that, depending on how you look at that. But it does kind of have these two different sort of feels to it that aren't always don't necessarily gel to, in my mind anyways, exactly great, but um, it certainly works. But 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like it could have been a good single just because you can see a video, somebody, a, a good director anyways, having a lot of fun with a video, even though videos obviously aren't as important these days. But just as far as as far as setting a tone for the album and the and the tour and stuff with it, could have had a lot of fun with it. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a musician, but I think also as well, it has an unusual beat. I don't know what, uh, it's not a standard 4-4 song, as they say. I think it's quite hard for the band to play it live. And I thought they did a really brilliant job because yeah. it, it, it has a different tempo. It, is it time signature? Yeah. It'd you be know, a probably it's all quite three, four uh, yeah. swing, almost not swing exactly, but like a swing sing. And so that's where you get a lot of that sort of sort of tension in the, in the music too of, of edge, yeah. the way he has to sort of hold the note longer than he would have or, and that kind of stuff. So, which you two doesn't often do for whatever reason, they typically stick to the, to the beat it's a it's a song that i think they really have to concentrate on playing live because it's it's so easy to make a mistake on to just get the t- yeah get the tempo wrong and the time wrong and it'll sound awful yeah and u2gw and chairman says i think it's six eight which could also be just off, off the i don't even head. know what a six eight is but it sounds complicated <laughs> six beats in the in the measure instead of three or four 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 would be one two three four one two three four three four anyways that's our musical lesson for the episode but <laughs> it isn't often that's that u2 goes outside of four four into something either three four or six eight where it gives it more of a swing to it um but it definitely like we said it works gives it some some room to breathe you might say oh very good there we go okay <laughs> let's keep moving before the puns get really bad the worst of us are long drawn out confessions Best of us are geniuses of compression. You say you're not gonna leave the truth alone. Yeah, U2 War 40, I just had to mention, I love Bono writing in the third person on City, or City of Blank, <laughs> Cedars of Lebanon. Hendrix guitar by Edge is subtle and awesome, and at Bruner Caffey, he said, I didn't really like the album back then, but I must say it's gotten better over time. Cedars of Lebanon is the highlight, highlight for me, so... Aaron, you had some thoughts on... Yeah, I think, I, I, I totally agree. I think this is a beautiful song. It wasn't played live, but the 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 imagery of the song is just fantastic. And if you've seen the uh, the Anton Cabin um, linear video album, effectively, that, that accompanies the, uh, the, the various re- releases for this album... This is the last track, obviously, on that uh, on that video, and I just love the way that the whole the uh, Cedars Lebanon, you know, the East Mediterranean part, and we see we, we see different images from the perspective of an immigrant, in particular, on that uh, on that video coming through on this on the song, and I, I love the lyrics. Um, I love the last the last lines in particular. I think it's. Uh, uh, yeah, choose your choose your enemies carefully because they will define you. Yeah. Make them interesting because in some ways they will mind you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great um, that's a that's a great lyric. There, they're not there in the beginning, but when your story ends, going to last with you longer than your friends. That's the one, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we said, if this is a character album, this this to me is one of the best sort of characters that he gets into on the album, and uh, it doesn't. Like it doesn't have any sort of big, huge redemption of you know the solo and the B, the not the B side, the uh, solo and then the bridge and then a big chorus at the end or something to sort of bring you back on a positive note per se. It it kind of just um, leaves you 
as it yeah. were. It's it's um, it's a song that is it's obviously quite a downbeat song, and it's quite an emotional song as well. I think you know it depends. Again, it depends how you listen to your albums. Whether you like to listen to the album from start to finish, it's not a song that you can just play. Um, it's certainly you know uh, it's a bit like Mothers of the Disappeared, isn't it? This song, yeah, it has a certain reason for being on the album, and it's got that you know this album. It's got a lovely arc to it as well, and this this finishes off the album in a in a lovely way. And it's also one of the, of note. Uh, it's one of the few U two songs that actually has a, a swear in it that is left in the record full full stop. I guess it's <laughs> they don't always, yep. uh, and Bono doesn't cover it up or anything like that. So it's you can tell it's just a, a song that I don't know how they f- feel about it. Obviously, it didn't like you said it didn't resonate enough or didn't make sense enough to have it. In this, in the set list anywhere uh, live, but um, it's a definitely a beautiful song and, and something that's p- put set to the visuals in, in linear, which we can jump into as a sort of transition point. I guess it definitely works as a, a backing track for that in a, an amazing way. And sort of you know, of any song on the album, almost seems like that is destined and, and uh, written kind of almost for that idea of let's put let's make a video or music version of this this album and uh using cedars of lebanon as a sort of jumping off point for that so um the uh for anyone who's not aware i guess it, it came with um the deluxe edition i think and uh the, i'm assuming the box set as well i know i, I bought it off of itunes i think and got the download of it um so it wasn't anything that was that hard to find um i know for me it often messed up my playlist because i would throw the no line on the horizon album in somewhere and all of a sudden there's this video playing <laughs> hour-long video <laughs> that's playing in the background um but uh yeah i'm curious what what are your guys' thoughts on it's not every album obviously you two has a, a full hour-long video version of mm. the album that they ship um what are your yeah. thoughts on sort of i guess whether that works and makes sense and then you know how specifically this one how it worked and didn't or didn't it's it's a little strange when you you play it at first because of course the first track if I remember right is winter, which doesn't make the album. No, oh, it's not I think, winter. Is it not winter? What is no. it? Um, uh, unknown caller, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. Because he had finished, it, he had to like he put it together and then the track listing changed on the album. I think. Yeah, sort of that, the, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. I, well, win. I can't remember where it is, but winter is either one of the the first couple of songs on on the track list. And it's the third song, yeah. It's the third song, yeah. And of course, you know, you play it and you think, well, where's that on the album? And it's a bit hard to understand. I don't think um, I Go Crazy's on this, if I remember right. It's a long time since i played it, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it, I, I loved Linear. I, I actually um, really enjoyed it. And I remember going back to Cedars Lebanon, I remember watching the effectively a film it's not a music video is it it's a proper full length one hour one hour one hour film so there's a story behind it and i watched it from start to finish and you say you watch the 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 the, uh is it a policeman isn't it who's effectively Mm -hmm. going through france and then ends up um in um well obviously lebanon yeah and he's trying to get to tripoli i think isn't he i think that's the whole point and um you know you see him go away on the on the little boat across the sea so it's quite a 
poignant film, actually, in its own right. And this is when, I mean, effectively, Anto Cabin is actually starting to become a film director in his own right. I think he's done the Joy Division uh, film at this point as well. So it's in black and white, just like that that film is. I think it's I think it's great, and I think this is probably Sherry. You, you'll you'll uh, you'll have a view on this, I'm sure. Where sure. Bono is trying to make the, um, the, the 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 whole reason for an album. You know, with you know, we're seeing this thing with songs of experience, where there's meant to be some collaboration, perhaps with Apple, so that we we listen to an album in the proper sense, you know, from start to finish. And there'll be some type of interaction. I think this is U2's attempt back in 2009 to do so. Well, it was interesting because I don't know um, uh, uh, if you guys uh, seen the liner notes about it. Um, For Felinia. Uh, uh, yes. Um, uh, where, where it says that, in, that this project started in late May of 2008. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So and, and you know, that's released, how they're, yeah, <laughs> much much later. <laughs> yeah. So uh, actually, do you know, I, I was actually at uh, Hanover uh, in the Easter. I think it was the April of two thousand eight, and met Lanoir and Edge outside, and they were <laughs> they they were saying that the album was a long way from being finished. I don't even think they had lyrics uh, for some of the songs. Was what I was some- told. Some could argue that it still isn't finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, if if Anton was, I never thought of that before. Yeah, if Anton was given this task to do, to do a, an hour long film of songs that didn't make the album, I mean, he's done a great job in some respects. Yeah, he's he. The um, liner notes ended saying, "Thus, linear is a very interesting hybrid version of No Line on the Horizon. Partly how it was in May two thousand eight, and partly how it is now. Tomorrow is always partly yesterday. Apparently, mm. mm-hmm. it was a very nice way of an artist saying they kind of left me hanging, and I had to do something with the best I could. <laughs> He's very Screw you guys! You yeah. get what you get, and you don't get upset. <laughs> Lisa, you, you kind of implied that you, you really liked it too. Is there something in particular about it that is sort of draws you into it? Uh, well, I, I really liked Winter because it's like um, it's a, that part where he, the copy goes, uh, where you really, um, uh, how do you say, you see what he sees uh, while he's driving down the road and then you have this whole mountain pass uh, while, linear, while, uh, while Winter is playing. Uh, so I, I like these images there, and uh, also, well, the lyrics for Winter are really beautiful. I think the way Bono's voice uh, cracks up a bit sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I really like that song. So Winter would have been a better choice than Get on Your Boots for the album. Is that what we're all saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So has Winter been released in any official form other than on this, or? Is it still sort of locked? Uh, the I think, Brothers I think soundtrack, was, right? Oh, right, yeah. Sorry, that was what yeah. you said. Yeah, right. Um, so there is a way for folks to hear it outside of the... And, the, and there's a few other little tracks that have come out, haven't there, you know, from from the recordings. I mean, we got the Soon uh, song. Remember Soon? It was used right. in the 360. Didn't that come out on a seven-inch single? Didn't it come out uh, with the live deluxe box set of 360? Correct, and that's the only way you could get that as a single. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, soon was used, you know, as as one of the the walk on songs. Um, 
for the well, 2011 360 tour. I don't think it was the walk-on song for for 2009. Yeah, used on the latter stages. And, you know, the whole 360, going back to where we were talking about earlier, they they did start experimenting with uh, some of the live shows, certainly in 2010 in Europe. We started hearing Every Breaking Wave. We started hearing North Star, Glastonbury, a few different versions Mercy. with us. Mercy. We had Return of the um, Stingray Guitar opening each of the shows. So uh, a very experimental set list in some respects. And also, of course, you know, some of the never-to-be-heard-again songs were played for the first time. I didn't ever expect to hear The Unforgettable Fire as a track to be played, and that was played. So, uh, you know, lots of memories of this particular tour but less so of no line of the, on the horizon as it progressed. Yeah. In the very mm-hmm. early stages, you know, we, we had seven tracks off, seven or even eight tracks probably, off the album in the very early days of the show, of the tour. But they did that with Songs of Innocence, didn't they? They played quite a lot of songs on the on the uh, North American tour, which then just started to uh, to drop off as, as time goes on. They experiment. Yeah, and actually, uh, well, U2GW in the chat room asked if this is the beginning of U2's paralysis by analysis phase, which they, where they hold and tweak endlessly. And, and I think there, there's an argument to be made that, that, yeah, they definitely have sort of the luxury now of more time and they can give themselves more time. They don't have the pressure to, I mean, there's contract stuff, but they don't have the pressure necessarily to get an album out now and because they have to strike on, you know, the same way they did when they were a younger band. Um, and plus Bono, of course, and other members have more interests elsewhere outside of the band that keep them occupied otherwise. So um, you could certainly you make- also have have the risk there, though, of of, you know, th- th- we've already had two incidents with the lead singer where he could have been out for the count. You never know when this is going to be the band's last album. Mm. So I think that they're being very protective in what they release. And, and I do agree that, that it started in 2009. They're being very protective in what they give out because you don't know if that's going to be the last original chapter while all four band members are still you know, above ground. Um, and they want to be absolutely 100% positively sure that this is the music that they want to release. Right, they could, but if they did it faster, they could release more albums before somebody kicks them. <laughs> you can go and let's bring back in Rick Rubin then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the quality control is really high, isn't it, for you two? I mean, you know, the worst album? I don't even know if we have that. And trying to be objective, because we're all big U2 fans, but worst album, it just doesn't make sense. You can apply that with lots of other acts, but U2, it's not so easy. <laughs> Which is the fun of being on a YouTube podcast, and uh, and and also for folks out there being able to respond to said podcast. If you want to uh, tweet at us, let's uh, let's go around the room, virtual room, as it were. Um, for those, if you're not aware, we don't actually record all in the same space. Um, Aaron, where are you in the world, and and what's your Twitter handle if you would like to share that so people can? Well, I, I'm based this. in Central England in the county of Warwickshire, and my. Uh, Twitter handle is at Ivanobe, I-V-A-N-O-B-E. All right. And Lisette, where are you in the world and how are you? How can we get in the sound by tweeting at you? Uh, I'm in the Netherlands and I'm uh, my handle is Aquabat Girl. And uh, Sherry, how about you? What's 
What's I am in the uh, land where Super Bowl champions are made, the Boston area. <laughs> oh, uh, go Pats! Um, and <laughs> you can always find me. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at at YouTube Sherry as always. And I'm in the Great White North, where we're suffering through snow and winter and ice, and much like Six winter. Six more weeks of winter, right, Chris? Yeah, apparently that's what the <laughs> groundhog said. And uh, I'm I, Chris, on Twitter, and uh, you can follow at U2, twitter.com slash ATU2. Of course, at U2.com is the website. There'll be lots more links to things uh, we discussed didn't get to in the in the episode links to articles on YouTube at YouTube or how about from various folks take on songs and, and moments from uh, No Line on the Horizon and uh, you can find all those things at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 49 because this is episode number 49 go 49ers and uh, we will <laughs> see you again next time for episode number 50 if it all goes according to plan there should be uh I don't know what we'll call it. If it's it's longer than a B side, but it's not a full episode where um, EP. Yeah, maybe an EP. Uh, Matt and, I and myself have a special chat with uh, Andy Green from Rolling Stone after his interviews he published with Adam and Edge and um, Willie Williams. That's coming up, and then of course, barring a last minute album release, there'll be an episode on Songs of Ascent, and then we'll be finished our album by album series and uh you mean we're not doing the 30th anniversary of the of the joshua tree when it gets um, re-released right. in march <laughs> i'm sure we'll have a few joshua tree discussions to have uh to happen over the next little while including of course when the tour opener happens and a whole bunch of the at youtube folks including aaron i think right you're coming across the pond i heard i hope so i hope so if, if the family lets you yeah leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I am, I'm coming over. I'm and coming over. Uh, so, if you're going to be in the Vancouver area for that opener, uh, we'd love to hear from you at some point. We'll, we'll have more on that later, but uh, for now, I think we'll sign off and uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.